Welcome to the Bayshore Podcast. As listeners each week, whether through iTunes or through the church app, you're part of our church family. We would love for you to share stories of how Bayshore is impacting your life by sending us an email at amen at bayshorecc.org. As always, you can find all kinds of information and content on our website, bayshorecc.org. There's also our church app, which you could download by going to bayshorecc.org slash app. So thanks again for joining us this week, and we hope that today's message is a blessing to you. Okay, everybody, we are studying the book of Acts still and learning about how to understand the New Testament, how it helps us, and we have wonderful group of people here this morning. We've already had a great uh, time of worship together. Didn't Kyron and the band do an incredible job this morning? It was so great. And we have people joining us live stream. And thank you so much listening uh, Facebook Live. We had 700 views last week that listened to us. Uh, and our, our viewing numbers are going up. And that's so good. Interesting, last week we had uh, Pastor Wambi from Uganda, Africa listening to the podcast here in Gumber. Isn't that pretty cool? And Rebecca Faust in Sinking Springs, Pennsylvania. So um, interesting name of a town, Sinking Springs. Wow. But anyhow, great to have you with us. And uh, thank you for, for listening. Uh, this morning we're in um, Acts chapter 17. We started last week uh, looking at the uh, church of Thessalonica, Paul going to this place called uh, Thessalonica, and it's, uh, it was a city on the Via Nation Road. There was a road, a Roman road there, a city of about 200,000 people. Paul went to these main cities, and uh, it was a major, major, kind of the, like the, the, the capital of that area. And so Paul went there, and I want to read uh, that passage again. We're going to uh, finish up with Thess- uh, Thessalonians today, the Church of Thessalonica, and then we'll get into, uh, in, into Athens and Berea next week. So uh, here's what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 17. By the way, uh, I'm reading out of these free Bibles that we give away. If you don't have a Bible... Uh, there are in that little rack uh, as you leave between the two doors on this side there's free Bibles and my big thing about Bibles is good font and so when the staff uh, was talking to me about ordering these I said I absolutely let's just we're so excited about getting Bibles for people make sure you get decent font so they're readable and these uh, this has really good font so if you you know people have trouble reading anyhow they don't like to read a lot and so this font is great though so it's really good so let me read for you uh, out of the out of the Bibles we give away. Uh, Acts chapter 17 says, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and to rise from the dead. Then Jesus, this Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. 
They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. So this is a really uh, great uh, great story here. The, uh, the whole ministry in the town of Thessalonica is such an important, important uh, section of Scripture. It's just really, really interesting. And, and what I find interesting about this story is there's so many dynamics in the story. How Paul got there, we know that we studied last week that when he got there, uh, when he traveled that 100 miles from Philippi to uh, Thessalonica, it was in the wake of being mercilessly, mercilessly beaten. He, was, he had been beaten and had been wounded and uh, he had been thrown into jail. And yet Paul is continuing to serve the Lord and he's continuing on his mission. We talked about the importance of letting the Holy Spirit fill you so you're able to be tenacious and continue with a mission you have uh, been given by God, whatever that mission is. So we get to, he finally gets to Thessalonica and when he gets there, um, there's some interesting things that happen in the story that I think are, are interesting. When you look at the whole uh, story of Thessalonica, uh, and of course this is related to Paul establishing this church, is related to First and Second Thessalonians in the New Testament. So when you think about, when you read your New Testament, you get to First and Second Thessalonians, that those are letters written to this, uh, to this church. In fact, when I've been studying uh, this passage, I've been reading First and Second Thessalonians to kind of get an understanding for Paul's ministry there. But one cool thing that happened is he goes to Thessalonica and he doesn't know anybody when he gets there. He's completely, uh, he's never, maybe never been to that city. He doesn't know anybody in the city. And he preaches. And, and when you follow Paul the rest of the New Testament, you follow him, he, he made several friends in Thessalonica that stayed with him the rest of his life. So to me, that's interesting. The interesting thing to me is, is he goes to this city and he doesn't know anybody. He doesn't have any real relationships, but he goes to this city, he plants the church, and there's two men, a guy named Aristarchus and Secundus, that he mentions throughout the rest of his ministry, throughout the rest of the New Testament, that are from Thessalonica that stayed with him and supported him in his ministry. So, in fact, Aristarchus uh, is one of the people, one of the men that he met in Thessalonica that appears over and over again in Paul's writings. So what that means is, is this guy that Paul didn't know becomes acquainted with Paul. They become friends, and for the rest of Paul's life, this guy is with him. We know that when Paul is thrown on a ship, uh, put in uh, handcuffs, and is sent to Rome, Aristarchus is with him, this guy from Thessalonica. We know that when Paul is cast into prison in Rome, that Aristarchus is with him. So what's cool about that? What's cool about that is, is Paul went into a city not knowing anybody, but inside of that city were people that he was going to meet and God was going to join him with and they were going to become friends. And that person was going to stay with them the rest of his life. Now let me just, uh, just let me tease you with something here. Maybe God has some people in your life you haven't met yet that are going to play an incredible role in your future. 
Now, I remember when Karen and I first came here to Bayshore uh, about 42 or 37, 38 years ago, whatever it is. My math is a little weak this morning. But uh, I remember when we came here, we didn't, we didn't really know anybody uh, here in this church. Uh, and, and Karen and I left Pensacola, Florida, where we were in college. We had all of these friends. We had this wonderful uh, network of friends. In fact, when we, when we left Pensacola, Florida in 1981, we have, uh, had all of our college friends loading up our, our trip. Uh, loading up our, our, our rider truck, and uh, and they were helping us hook up our car to pull, and we we just we were very very close. And these people that I didn't know when I moved to Pensacola had become my best friends, and I'm still in great relationship with all those people. And I remember some of those people just hugged us and they cried, and and one guy running down uh, the road after us as we're pulling towing our car, the chain was dragging. A guy named Reggie Coward and was you know helping us there, and so we became friends with people in a city that we had never been to that became lifelong friends. You met David Kerr a few weeks ago. David Kerr, I'm going to be going to Pensacola in a few weeks to uh, go to his birthday party down there. We're going to stay on the 13th floor uh, on Pensacola Beach, beautiful place. And um, so became friends and didn't know David before. And, and, and when I came here, Karen and I came here, you know, we didn't have any friends we didn't know anybody. Uh, we had our family nearby. But over the last 37, 38 years, there are people that I've met since I've been here that have become my aristocuses, my friends that have stood beside me and supported me through everything. So listen, you know, God has people that he wants to link you with and help you to be joined to. So that's important. One of my prayers for our church is our church will become a church where people come here and they don't know anybody. They walk in the doors. They don't know anybody. But after a year, year or so, they have been, they've made some incredible friends that have become a great part of their life. So, um, so Paul met some people in uh, Thessalonica that became his friends. Let me read to you Acts 20, verses 4 through 5 to kind of underscore what I've, what I've been talking about here. Acts 24 through 5, he was accompanied by Sopater and uh, son of Piraeus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. Say that with me, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. And then he names some other names. And then uh, verse uh, 19, or, or chapter 19, Acts 19, verses 29 says this. Soon the whole city was in an uproar. He's in Ephesus at the point. The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. So Paul met people in Thessalonica that he was joined to. And God wants to join you to certain people that will stand with you. How many know that you need some hard, fast Friends that will stand beside you, that will never leave you, forsake you. Can you say a big amen? Loyalty. We need loyalty. We need that kind of relationship. So some of you have that, and some of you, God's forming that. And I just want to say this, and this is just a minor point in the message this morning. I want to say this. People are moving into our community from all over the place. And uh, our church at Lessa, uh, welcome lunch we did a couple weeks ago, I asked people in that welcome lunch how many people had moved into the community uh, and how many people were from Sussex County. And the majority of the people in that welcome class ha- had moved into Sussex County. And what I'm, I'm praying that God will make our church a church where people come like Paul. They come into a city where they don't know anybody. And inside of that uh, experience of coming to that new place, God has people for them that are going to become lifelong friends to support them and love them and stand with them. So just say this with me out loud together. God has divine friends 
appointing for me in every new place I go to give me the support I need. So if you're here and you move to the community and you say, gee, I don't know anybody, this is such a lonely place and everything smells like chicken manure here. <laughs> Let me just say to you, God has people for you. He had people for Karen and I when we came here. Some of those people are here this morning, the lifelong friends. So that's interesting. So let's go a little further into the text here. Uh, so it says that when Paul went to Thessalonica, uh, he went, and it says in verse 2 of Acts 17, 2, as his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. As his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Now, here's how Paul uh, established churches and won people to Jesus in the ancient world. He went to synagogues, and the synagogues uh, were, would have people in there that were Jewish people that understood Scripture. And also they would have inside the synagogue Gentile, peop- Gentile people that weren't Jewish but had come to believe in the God Jehovah, Yahweh, worshiping the Jewish God. And they were learning the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. So that's how, what his custom was. But here's what, here's what I think is interesting about this. It was his custom to go to the synagogue. Paul had a strategy and a plan about how he was going to win people to the Lord in his generation. He had a strategy, a specific strategy. Benjamin Franklin said, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. If you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. Paul had a plan. His plan was, his custom was, And the word custom there is the word ethos, and it it, it means a habit, a ritual, or a pattern. He had a pattern. He He had a custom. Paul did not feel led by the Holy Spirit to go to the synagogue. It wasn't like, oh, he got goosebumps and he got, oh my gosh, I got to go to the synagogue. And he had a dream and he went to the synagogue. It, was, it wasn't any of that. Paul walked in the city, unpacked his bags, he had a strategy, and he went to the synagogue, and that's how he did it in every city. Now, I think about how important it is to have a plan. You think about NFL uh, football coaches, uh, and you ever see them standing on the sidelines? Here's a picture of Andy Reid. Uh, Andy Reid on the sidelines, they got a game plan, and, and, they, and he's, they've already worked that out, and they go into a game, and they have a specific, uh, very detailed game plan of how they're going to win that game. Paul had a game plan. Here's a picture of Bill Belichick. You know, he's got an iPad there, and he's looking at it, and he's got his game plan on there. Cheat, cheat, cheat. No, anyhow, not, not that. That was a joke. That was a joke. You got you to respect Belichick. It's hard, but they have a great team, and they have a game plan. Everybody needs to have a game plan. You need to have a game plan about how you're going to win in life. You need to have a game plan about how, 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 you're going to, how you're going to succeed in life. You have to have a game plan about how you're going to grow spiritually. You have to have a game plan. And it can't be feeling-based. Feelings will never get you where you want to go. Feelings will never get you to the place in life where you want to go. You have to have, you have, to have something that's bigger than feelings because feeling, feeling-based people never reach their destination. It's people that have customs. 
They have habits. They have routines. They have rituals that they do. And Paul, it wasn't goosebumps. It wasn't like, you know, some mystical thing. He had a plan. He had his game plan. And he just kept working the plan. He kept working the plan. Every, every city he went, went to the synagogue. Every city he went, he went to Thessalonica, went to the synagogue. He goes to uh, Ephesus, goes to the synagogue. He does the same thing over and over again. It's his custom, it's his ethos, it's his, his plan. So I want to talk to you just a minute this morning about your customs, your habits. Do you have good, solid ethos, good, solid customs that are going to help you get where you want to go. Do you have good habits? Do you have good routines? And uh, I just think it's so important to have good habits and good routines. Had a guy come talk to me uh, just this week. Uh, he was, uh, had taken, uh, was kind of like uh, taken back by something I said a few weeks in my sermon, which I thought, that's great. I want to like rattle everybody's cages. I said something a few weeks ago. I said, I said you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But if you are a Christian, you'll go to church. And see, my theory is, is spiritual life produces a, a spiritual appetite. That's my theory. And that's what I think the New Testament teaches. And this guy, like hardly ever comes to church. And, you know, every once in a while he'll go to church and pick out a church out of the phone book and whatever. He just kind of like very, you know, very thing. And I said to him, I said, listen, I totally understand what you're saying. I'm not saying that, uh, that going to church is a work that you have to do. I'm just saying it's a natural outcome. If a person really knows Jesus and really loves Jesus, if their Holy Spirit has really regenerated them, they're going to have a, an appetite for spiritual things. And you are all here this morning. It was rainy, overcast when you got up this morning. How many looked out the window? It was just, it was just, it wasn't a pretty day. It was like Sussex County, you know, in depression today. It was like really, you know, it was just bad. And you know what? Look at you. You're all here. You're all here this morning. And you didn't come to church. Some of you didn't come to church this morning uh, because, you know, hey, you felt like it. You felt like goosebumps. It's Sunday. It's your custom. It's your ethos. It's your routine. It's your habit. And so you come, came to church and uh, you woke up, and there's some people, they looked out the window and, oh my gosh, and oh, I'm a, they pulled the covers back up. And some of you have ever been tempted to do that. How many have ever been tempted to do that? How many have succumbed to temptation a few times on that? <laughs> you went to Bedside Baptist that Sunday and stayed under, <laughs> listen to Pastor Sheets minister his message, you know? But listen, I said to this guy, I said, listen, I get what you're saying. I love you and you're, you're good and all that. And I'm so glad you were, you're transparent when I was talking about this. But I said, what you're doing, showing up every once in a while and, you know, when a goosebump hits you, you come to church. I said, I said, what you do and what you're, the kind of life you're describing is absolutely non-existent in the New Testament. There's nobody like you in the New Testament. Because everybody in the New Testament belonged to the body of Christ. And everybody that was following Jesus had a hunger to study God's word. And they submitted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. And they were growing in their faith. And I said, furthermore, I said, heaven is going to be really weird for you. Because there's going to be a lot of people in heaven. And Christianity is not meant to be a solo sport. But Christianity is meant to be a sport where we come together and we worship the Lord in unity. And we grow in our faith together. Can you say a big amen? So it's the, uh, it was the custom, 
It was the routine. It was the, uh, it was the established pattern of Paul to go to the synagogue. It's what he did. It wasn't feeling-based. It was habit-based. That's why it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, don't give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So say this with me. It is good to have positive habits that I do over and over again. So when you think about you know, your spiritual growth, what is your, what's, your, what's your game plan for your spiritual growth? My game plan for my spiritual growth is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible, try to read the Bible every day. I'm going to come to church every Sunday. I'm going to fellowship with other believers. I'm going to read books that challenge me. And I'm going to hang around with people who love Jesus like I love Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that this week. I'm going to do that next week. I'm going to do that next month. I'm going to do that next year. I'm going to do that 10 years from now. I'm going to keep doing that over and over again. I read a few years ago, some of you have heard me tell the story about uh, John Ogilvie, who used to be the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. Uh, he was a Presbyterian minister, great big booming voice, had a voice like God. I mean, incredible guy. And he wrote a book a few years ago I read called uh, Making Stress Work for You. And I read the book, and it had a story in the book that I've told many times about this guy, the hunchback prince that was one day going to become king. It was a Greek mythology story. And the, the hunchback prince, you know, he had this, he had this hunch, uh, hunchback and he couldn't stand up straight. And so he made a marble statue of himself standing erect. And every day, every day systematically, he would go to that, that marble statue of him standing erect and he would try to straighten up his, his, his humped back. And after months and months of doing that, one day he finally leaned back and he could feel cold marble touching his shoulder blades. He had a strategy, he had a vision, and he just kept doing it over and over and over again. I think about people that, that are trying to overcome addictions, people that are struggling with addictions. I had a guy come to me one time and he said to me, he said, you know, I want God to deliver me. I want God to deliver me from my problem. And he said, I want, to, uh, I want God to zap me. So I get zapped. And so all of a sudden, all of my problems go away. And I said to him, I said, here's just me. I'm just practical. I said, you know how God's going to deliver you? God's going to deliver you by you going to meetings systematically and getting the counseling you need to do. Just go to the meeting over and over again. Go, go to the meetings. And that's how God's going to deliver you. It's just step by step uh, applying a process that will help you uh, find your freedom and your deliverance. And he was looking for that instantaneous thing. But here's what I believe. I thoroughly believe in life in order for us to succeed in life, feelings will never get us where we want to go or need to go. Say it with me. Feelings will never get us where we want to go. It takes customs and habits and routines. So I said to that guy, and I told him, I said, you ever hear the story about the, uh, about the monarch butterfly? And the monarch butterfly is trying to struggle out of his cocoon? And I said this you know, this little boy saw the monarch butterfly trying to struggle out of his cocoon, and so he ran in the house, and he got some scissors, and he cut the bottom of the cocoon, and the monarch butterfly easily slid out of the cocoon. And I said the monarch butterfly laid on the ground, and the monarch butterfly died. 
I said the reason the monarch butterfly died was because it's the struggle to get out of the cocoon that makes him fly. It's the struggle. It's the person that has to seek God and go to their, their, their meetings over and over again. I met a lady about two weeks ago in the foyer at Bayshore, and she was four weeks into recovery. She said, I go to two meetings a day, and she said, I'm going to these meetings. And what, what's, the, what's the difference there? The difference is it's customs, it's habits, it's routines that I do. And Paul had this way. His, his whole theory of success was, was routines and habits to uh, get him where he needed to go. So that's the first thing. So say it. Say this with me. Uh, say this with me. That customs and habits are the key to reaching success. Paul had a custom. And uh, real quickly, before I go to the last point, I just have a few minutes here. Real, real quickly, I want to put on the screen our, our, our goals for our church. We have a, what, our, what, our, what, our, what our deals are. This is our plan for success. This is what we as a church will do this week, next week, next year, the following year. This is what we're going to keep working the plan. Keep working the plan. And if the plan doesn't seem to work right away, doesn't mean that it's not a good plan. Just keep working the plan. How many ever heard about the uh, Chinese bamboo tree? Chinese bamboo tree is you plant a uh, the seed for a Chinese bamboo tree, you put it in the ground and you water that spot and you water it for every day for the first year. Nothing happens. You don't see anything. All you just see is a wet spot on the ground. You do it for the second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year. You water that spot where the seed is. In the fifth year, the Chinese bamboo tree grows 80 feet in six weeks. 80 feet in six weeks. So the plan may not work in the beginning, but you keep working the plan. 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 And uh, that's very, very true of every aspect of life. But, hey, let's show a picture of the Chinese bamboo tree, by the way. I think we have that, and we can bring this back. There's a Chinese bamboo tree. And it, it's interesting. When you plant it, it's actually a grass. It's not a tree. But when it comes out of the ground after five years, it comes out uh, the diameter that it will have in the stalk uh, its, its entire adult life. So it's interesting. Let's put our plan. Here's our BC, uh, here's our Bayshore Community Group, uh, our church plans here. Having a congregation that loves our church so much that they invite, everybody say invite. They invite their friends to come to church with them, and their friends find Jesus and are baptized. We just want to keep doing that over again. We want to create such an incredible church that you love to come, you love our church, and you love to tell other people about coming. Step two is we want to teach the Bible in a way that is understandable and always practical so people can grow spiritually. So what I try to do every Sunday is when I teach Scripture is I try to teach it in a practical way, an understandable way, so it makes sense and so we can, we can apply that. Step three. Step three is have everyone go through next steps and find their place to serve. Serve. Everybody serving. Everybody apart. Number four, have everyone join a small group where people find relationships, connections for spiritual growth and encouragement. Is that the last one? Or is there one more under that? That's it. Number four. The four steps that we do there. So, so we just keep doing that over and over and over again. Okay, one other thing today before we, we quit. So just get this in your heart, first of all. Just raise your hand right now. Just raise your hand and say, uh, I'm committed to having good routines, good habits to get me where I want to go. So as far as your, your physical exercise and all that, 
How many have ever not felt like going to the gym? You just go. You, you, go, it's, you know why you go? Because it's Monday, and you always go on Monday. Tomorrow morning, I'll get up at 5.30, and I'll drive to play tennis. And at 5.30, the last thing I want to do is get up and go play tennis. But I just get up and do it. Just, just do, do, do the routine. So let me, here's, here's another cool thing in the, in the passage here. As his custom was, he went to the synagogue, and on three days, he reasoned, he reasoned with them. Now, it, he didn't have immediate success in Thessalonica, so it's three weeks he's reasoning with them. And the word reason there is the word dioligomai, dioligomai. And um, the word reason is dioligomai is the word we get dialogue from. So it's interesting here, he didn't preach to them, but he dialogued with them. I love uh, Tim uh, Keller, who is, was in New York City for many, many years. Redeemer Presbyterian Church, one of the most effective churches in New York City. Uh, Karen and I went to hear uh, Tim Keller. And he, would, he preached this to all those secular, cynical New Yorkers. And he preaches his message and he teaches the Bible just like we're doing. And that's what I'm doing. I'm just trying to teach the Bible, teach the Bible. He teaches the Bible. And after he got done teaching the Bible, he's reached thousands and thousands of people, multiple campuses all over New York City. After he teaches, he goes into a room and people ask him questions. And they challenge what he said. And he's having dialogue with them. An incredible model. So dialoguing, dialoguing. So Paul dialogued with them. He didn't... He didn't have a monologue with them, but he had a dialogue with them. Now, a monologue is where I'm trying to get my ideas across to you, and I'm just, I'm just making you listen. A dialogue is where there's mutual communication, and Paul is listening as well as he's speaking. So dialogue is important to help reach people. Here's, I'm about ready to say something real important on this point. Here we go right here. You gain influence not by speaking, but by listening. Say it with me. You gain influence not by speaking, but by listening. When you listen to somebody, you gain influence in their life. If you don't listen to them, you don't gain influence. So learning to listen now, relationships have to work on dialogue, not on monologue. If you're married and your relationship's based on monologue, you are in trouble. If you're doing all the, you're doing all the talking and you're, te- you're treating your wife like she's your oldest child and you're giving her a monologue, that's not going to work. You're in big trouble. <laughs> Marriage is based on dialogue, listening, sharing, talking. Very, very important. And uh, you listen, by the way, not simply with your ears, but you listen with your eyes as well. And so how you listen. See, if you're, if you're married and, and you're not listening and you're, 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 your face is facing the right way, but your eyes are empty and you're not listening, your wife will know it every time. How many, how many have ever discovered that? You've been, you've been caught on a pop quiz. What did I just say? <laughs> you don't have a clue. And so you, you got a chance that at that point you can guess or you can admit. In my experience, guessing doesn't work out very well. 
So dialogue versus monologue. Monologue is, he wasn't, he wasn't given a monologue. He was, he was dialoguing with them. And so it's very, very important to, to listen. Stephen Covey says, seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. Seek first to understand before seeking to be understood. Listening, listening with your eyes, listening with your ears. So can you see Paul in the synagogue? He, he's teaching about Jesus, then he had these questions, then he had these objections, and he just kind of sits down and he's listening to them. He's listening to them. And as he listens to them, he gains influence over them. Now here's the problem. This is just a little political side note, nothing about any party, but here's the political problem in our country. Our country was designed to operate on dialogue and it's operating on monologue. Listening is very, very important. And he listened to them. So if you've got people that don't know Jesus and they're arguing with you, you've got to listen to them. You've got to listen to them. Listen to their objections. Listen to their arguments. And that's what Paul was doing here. And by the way, let me just say this to you. If you have kids, if you have little kids, you operate on monologue. They need a dictator. You tell them what to do because they've they got cornflakes brains at this point. You've got you to tell them everything. And, you know, we went to visit our grandkids the other day, and, and uh, we were a little bored at the house. And so, hey, let's go see, you know, Joel and Stacy. Let's see Nora Nixon. So we went over there, and we walked in the house, and, and Nixon was crying. He'd cut his hand, uh, his finger, and, and Stacy was sitting on the floor getting a Band-Aid for him. And, and I said, well, what happened? Well, um, they went out back, and they found some beer bottles, not in Joel's yard, but in the neighbor's yard. And uh, so... Uh, so we got the, you know, Nora thought it'd be really cool to bust the, the beer bottles on a, on a rock, which he did, and then he grabbed it and he cut his, his hand. And so th- this is a monologue stage. You want to tell those kids everything, protect them. But when they get older, when kids get older, I've seen parents that they don't know when to switch from monologue to dialogue. When your kids become teenagers, and if you're operating on a monologue relationship, you're going to have a lot of trouble. But you want to operate on a dialogue relationship as they get older. So Paul listened, and he had a, had a monologue with them. And he, um, he had to leave town. There was a riot. And he left town, and he went to Berea. And he left in the middle of the night. And when he left in the middle of the night, some people believe that, uh, that he was not permitted to go back to Thessalonica. It says Jason posted bond for him, so it may be that Paul was not permitted to come back to Thessalonica, and he wrote a letter to them later. And I was just thinking about, I was thinking about this, this is my last point. I was thinking about how he had a limited time, had a limited time in Thessalonica to make his mark. And we have a limited time, we have a limited time to make our mark. You know what I did yesterday? I looked up how many days I have left to live if I live 20, 25 years or whatever. Now, this is the, I want to end on a real morbid note if you don't mind. <laughs> I thought, you know, you go to, you calculate how long you've lived. And I found out I have lived 22,469 days so far. 22,469 days. Huh. Wow. I said to myself, a little calculator there, I put it on the computer. I said, well, what if I live 20 more years? How many more days do I have left? And I've lived 22,469 days. But if I live 20 more years, that's only 7,300 days. I've lived almost three times that much already. 
So I got, I got a limited time, and I'm planning to live a lot longer than 20 years. I, I put 30 in, and I want to go higher, but I put 30 in, and uh, if I live 30 years more, I'll live, I'll live 10,950 days. And that's, that's not even half of what I've already lived. So probably some of you, how many of you are over 40 right now? Just raise your hand if you're able to, over 40. Okay. You've already lived most of your days. Paul had a limited time in Thessalonica. And you've got a limited time to make your mark. Now look at those people that were in the food pantry this week making their mark. I look at people that are serving in our community, loving people, telling people about Jesus, making their mark. This, say, then we're going to end on this little statement, then I'm going to pray with you. This is our time to make our mark. This is our time as a church to make our mark. Say it with me. This is my time to make my mark. One more time. This is my time to make my mark. Bow your heads in prayer. If you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus and you'd like to become a Christian, we want to make sure at every service there's an opportunity to do that. If you haven't found Jesus yet, you don't know Jesus, you can easily do that. Just invite him into your heart right now and say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I'm making a mess on my own. I want you to be the Lord of my life and I want to begin to grow in you. And uh, you could just do that right now. And you can tell us about it. It will help you get baptized. Let's pray. Just lift your hand to the Lord. Lord, I thank you, God, for uh, using us as a church. We thank you, God, for good habits and good customs that you're putting in our life so we can reach our goals. We ask you to help us and help us to grow in you. And we thank you for your love and your mercy toward us. And we thank you for a great week. We're starting a brand new week. Today's the first day of a new week, and this is going to be a great week. We're going to prosper, we're going to be blessed, and we're going to grow this week. So use us as a powerful influence in our community. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen, amen.